Merry Christmas. Welcome to Marion First United Methodist Church, too. We're, we're glad that you're here on this Christmas Eve afternoon. And if you're a guest or a visitor uh, looking for a new church home, please feel invited to come back and join us this coming or any other uh, Sunday. I do want to take a moment just personally to thank uh, Nicole over there on the piano. Thank you, Nicole. Well done. Um, I always mark my time here at Marion. Nicole was a seventh grader when I got here in my first confirmation class She's a second-year med student for a while, so for right now. So she's been here a bit and always been blessing us with the keyboards. And thank you to those great musicians that we've had uh, alongside her today. We began our walk to Christmas with a pledge this year. And that pledge was not to complain or whine about what we've called here in the church season treason. Instead, Pastor Keith and I have been teaching the meaning of the carols of Christ Encouraging you to believe what you sing, and regardless of your pitch, or how well you might sing, to sing what you believe. Tonight, on the most holy night of our faith, we arrive at the climax of our teaching series, The Carol Joy to the World. Uh, last week, as I was preparing for these moments, I went to Answers.com and asked a question. I said, what is the meaning of the Carol Joy to the World? The answer was simple and clear. The world must rejoice because Christ is born. Amen. Good stuff. Now, I like simple. But I thought that maybe a two-paragraph Christmas Eve sermon, while some of you might cheer heartily, <laughs> might leave others wanting a little bit more. So here's a little bit more. Young Isaac Watts was completely disgruntled with the Christian music of his day, so he picked up a pen and put it to paper and wrote some of the hymns that this congregation and many others love. Hymns like, O God, our help in ages past, when I survey the wondrous cross, were marching design, joy to the world, and several others. And though he later became known as the father of hymns, Watts' lyrics were viewed as too personal and repetitive, his melodies too irreverent and inappropriate for the traditionalists of the 18th century. Nevertheless, Joy to the World endured, and in fact was the most published hymn of the last century. Modern Christians would have a hard time imagining a Christmas Eve service without it. And even we here tonight will sing it in just a few moments. And so tonight our Christmas message comes from its rich and potent lyrics. The word joy appears two, 320 times in the Christian scriptures. Joy is central to our belief. It is at the core of what we understand as faith. Joy is that inner sense of well-being that lives in our hearts regardless of circumstances because we've invested our lives in Jesus Christ. See, joy is not happiness. You've heard this before. Let me explain it to you just a little bit. Happiness has to do with what happens to you, and thus it fluctuates with the circumstances. For instance, a few weeks ago, I was down the street ordering a takeout meal at one of the local uh, restaurants, getting some chicken, and I received, as a bonus at the top of my sack, two chocolate chip cookies. Score! Happy preacher man, right? I'm a happy guy then. And my circumstances dictated that I should. But on the other hand, just a week or so ago, I was talking to one of our college students here, and they had just scored poorly on their final exam. And bang, biscuit, they were unhappy. And probably their parents were unhappy too, or going to be unhappy shortly. 
You get it. Happiness is circumstantial. Therefore, you're not always going to be happy. You're always one free cookie or a bad math grade away from happy or unhappy, right? Happiness is not joy because joy rises above circumstances. Joy transcends that which is happening in your life. Joy in Christ is a permanent condition. We sing, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. See, the point is, when the king is received, there is joy. When the king is received, there is joy. The story of Jesus' birth documents that not everyone received him as a king. Herod, the local king, went completely nuts and paranoid when he heard that another king was being born in his province. He tried to, to work a deal with the wise men, tried to trick them into telling him where they, this king was. He even ordered an edict to kill all the recently born boys in his area, an edict, a law, that resulted in the killing of two of his own sons. The owner of the inn, obviously aware of Mary's physical condition, Pretty hard to hide nine months of pregnancy, right? Anybody that's been pregnant knows how tough that is. But the owner of the inn refused her hospitality beyond the cave where uh, his animals fed, slipped, and slept, and did what animals do. Make no mistake, on the way into this world, many did not receive Jesus as their king. Now, many reject Jesus as their king today as well. Many people, even this afternoon and this evening, do not notice Jesus. One of the most important things I think Keith said in one of his sermons this, this Advent was, most people don't notice Jesus today. And I would say even at Christmas, most people don't notice Jesus or want him as their king. He's a threat to their selfish desires. He, he challenges our individual freedoms. He encroaches on their intellectual pride. And so make no mistake about it as you walk through the hours towards the eve of Christmas. Tonight, in our area, though it was our sense to come here to worship, most do not receive Jesus as king. Now, those who do receive Jesus as the king of their lives find a spiritual joy that can't be found anywhere else. If your spirit does not have a relationship with God, there's going to be constant unrest and unhappiness within. Years ago, I had the privilege, and it was a, it was a great joy, to, to sit with 30 of my colleagues with the all-time leading scorer in Division I college basketball, a fellow by the name of Pete, uh, Pistol Pete Maravich. He told us about his life as a basketball star and a cultural icon. And how fame and fortune and money and men and women day after day threw themselves at him. And still, with all the millions he, he had, with all the people he had around him, night after night, he sat in hotel rooms in faraway cities or even in the living room of his palatial man mansion, completely joyless, without any joy in his life. And he tried it all. He tried it all. He had women, drinking, drugs, philosophy. He became a Buddhist. He became a Hindu. He took on transcendental meditation. And still he was miserable day after day, week after week, year after year, completely devoid of joy. Then one day, he's playing a pickup game, basketball game, after his retirement from professional basketball. He met a guy named James Dobson, who after the game told him the joy of Christ. 
Pete Maravich got down on his knees right then and there and received Jesus Christ as his king. And in his own telling, at that moment, his spirit was overwhelmed with peace and joy. And he felt a joy beyond which anything he had ever known and something that he proclaimed until his untimely death a number of years ago. He knew what I'm telling you to be the truth. When Christ is received as king, he fills the inner longing for significance, for purpose, for hope, for forgiveness that cannot be found anywhere else in all the world. So we sing joy to the world. The Lord is come, let earth receive her king. And the second verse begins, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns, let men their songs employ, while fields, floods, rocks and hills and plains. Repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat Repeat the sounding joy. There is joy you see when a Savior reigns. Now, now help, let me help you just understand briefly that there is a significant difference between receiving Jesus as King and allowing Him to reign in your life. See, the innkeeper in Bethlehem that night might have later said, Look, I have received the Messiah. He was born on my property. I, I have rights to him. I, I received him in. He spent his first night on earth here. Listen, I don't care how he packaged it. The truth is, Jesus did not reign over his selfish concern. During his ministry, Jesus met many who wanted to receive him as king, but did not want him to reign in their lives. When 5,000 were hungry out by the lake shore, by his miraculous hands, he fed all of them out of a few fish and a few loaves. And they were all exuberant. And they were cheering him on. But when Jesus began to speak of spiritual food, when he began to talk about what it meant to be a disciple, and when he went further and told a person that they had to be sacrificial in their lives to follow Christ, most of the seats were empty. When one day there was a parade from Bethany down into Jerusalem, a lot of people lined up to scream, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. They screamed because it was a party, it was a great party. Everybody was joining in. But when things got harder, just a few days later, when the heat from the authorities was on, many of those same voices were convinced to change their tune from Hosanna to crucify him, crucify him, because they refused to allow Christ to reign in their lives. And many today want to receive the good things Christ has to offer, but do not want him reigning over their business ethics, their language, their entertainment choices, or their public image. Now please understand, people who receive Christ, but don't want him to rule, are not usually very joyful, because they're torn between two worlds. A long time ago, I was a Boy Scout. And in the Boy Scouts, you learn a simple truth pretty early on. You can keep two feet, you can keep a, a foot in two canoes if you want to, for a while. But eventually, you know, it starts getting real uncomfortable. None of us can be two places at one time. So a choice is necessary. Either we reign in our own lives and we're the king of our own world, or Christ reigns in our lives. And when Jesus reigns in your life, he brings joy beyond what any troublesome circumstance can ever take away. You know, long before Facebook or Snapchat or Twitter were invented, a woman named Elizabeth Singer wrote a letter to Isaac Watts, the author of Joy to the World. She told him she'd never been so inspired by anyone 
in her whole life. And she was his biggest admirer. She wanted to meet him someday. They began exchanging letters. They didn't have email or anything like that. Hearts were shared. Love ensued. A proposal was made and received. So Miss Singer made the journey to go meet Isaac Watts, already pledged to be married to him. But when she saw him, though she fully anticipated marrying him, when she went, she completely rejected him and turned away and left. She wrote her friend of the experience. He was only five foot tall with a shallow face, hooked nose, prominent cheekbones, small eyes, and death-like complexion. When Watts heard of this, he was heartbroken, of course, like any of us would. We'd gone through that situation or scenario. And so he poured himself into writing because he knew those circumstances were bad and happiness had been vacuumed out of his spirit. The joy of Christ had not been taken from him because Christ reigned in his life. And so he wrote of the joy we all know. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. There is joy when a sinner repents. See, I've come to know this, and you know it too. Sin always promises happiness, and it always delivers sorrow. What you do eventually will reap a harvest. And as the lyrics of the song say, that's where the curse is found. Many times I've sat here, there, anywhere with men or women. They begin something, you know, like a story of a, with a sentence, something like this. Well, Mike, I've, I've had a lot of fun in my life. And then they start telling me the various and sundry experiences, typically self-gratifying of things. And then they end with, but now, but now, my kids hate me. My spouse can't stand me. I have very few friends, I'm miserable, and I'm without joy. Now some of you have been there, or maybe you're there right now. And so hear this on Christmas Eve, because there's good news for you. Christ comes to you and me so that you might be forgiven and experience wonderful joy. See, the antidote to sin is God's grace pouring on the human soul triggered by repentance. If you're in the sorrow of sin, I urge you, repent. Be convicted of, in your spirit, be contrite in your heart, and get about the business of changing your behavior. And let God's loving grace turn your mourning, your difficulties, into joy. No more let sins and sorrow grow. Nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Now the last verse of this song we love. We'll sing it loud and proud in just a bit. He rules the word, ruled the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders and wonders of his love. There is joy when truth rules with grace. Earlier this month, I was away and I picked up a USA Today and saw an ad in it that I, I love, this ad. It said this, when humankind reaches for God, it's called religion. When God reaches to humankind, it's called Christmas. And therein lies the truth that we celebrate today. See, Christmas isn't about a bunch of legalistic, man-made religion or rules. Christmas is about aligning with the absolute truth. 
And the truth is this, that God, the creator and maker of, and master of the universe, casts his lot with us in the person of Jesus. The truth of Christmas is that God wants us to want to align our lives with him by receiving him and allowing him to reign, really reign, in our lives. The truth of Christmas is that God desires that we embrace the forgiveness he offers and choose to live with him a joy-filled forever. And that forever can begin now and here. Before we light a candle, let's just take a pause. We all come here tonight for different reasons. I know that. For some, we come to this service every year. Or because this is our church and we come whenever we can find a parking space open outside. Others of us have come tonight for the first time. Some of us are just here because this is part of a larger family occasion. Some of us come because we desperately need joy in our lives. And we've been looking everywhere. We've been looking everywhere that we can think of to find it. You know why you're here. And I know why I'm here. I'm here to offer you a simple invitation to receive Christ. To allow him to reign in your life, to embrace the forgiveness he offers and live the joy-filled life. What better night to accept such an invitation or to renew your commitment and align or realign your life than Christmas Eve? If you've been waiting or hoping for such an invitation, there it is. All of this, the candles, the bells, the, the cello, the, the singing, the wreaths, the lights, the flowers are all for this moment. This one right here. Accepting the invitation is simple. In your heart right now, all you need to do is pledge this. God, I do want to receive Jesus in my life and I don't want to hold anything back. I choose to give him reign in my life and honor him as my king. And I'm also confessing my sins, all those things that I do that take me away from you. And I thank you for forgiving me and letting me let go of my guilt. God, you are my absolute truth, and I honor you as such, and I will live as such. Listen, if you made or want to make that pledge for the first time, you might not feel like, just when I was reading through it or saying through it right there, that you might not feel like you did, did it right, or maybe you expected the heavens to open up and the angels to come and sing, whoa, or something like that, and change your life. Whatever. But, but listen to this. God knew your heart before you were born. He knew it last week. And he knew it when you got up this morning. He knew it when you were at work and with your friends. He knew it when you took your last drink, clicked your last mouse click on the internet, and he knew getting in your car this afternoon that tonight might be your night if you're open to it. So worry not. Worry not about process. Worry not about saying the right words. Just know that if you want it, and you're willing to receive it, and you're open for his Holy Spirit to come into you, and you're willing to let him reign in your life, your DNA has been or will be replaced by his. His joy is coming to your life, and it cannot be overcome by any circumstance. This is the Christmas message to you today. May God bless you at Christmas and forever. Joy to the world. The Lord has come to your life and my life and to all who live upon the earth.
Merry Christmas, hallelujah, and amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we ask your blessing on us as we come on this Christmas Eve. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit might fill these moments that as we handle bread and juice, that something potent and miraculous might happen. We know, Lord, that, that these elements are simply symbols of that great thing that you have done to us. Because you came, Lord, as a child, but that cradle was pointed straight at the cross. And you took that cross so, so that we might know you more fully and that we might understand how much you love us and why you are worthy for us to turn our lives to. Lord, we ask that you might make us worthy today. In your name we pray. Amen.